year, God's work has not been with us here in this very little series. Um, basically, it's confronting and battling against those things that keep us from devotion and surrender to Jesus Christ, um, the, the idols that are in our hearts. Um, basically, all sin can be boiled down to the sin of idolatry. It's what we place before God. Um, it is a daily battle for our hearts because usually the idols, the things that we put before God, are the things that are closest to our hearts. So last week, we, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we began to look at the specific gods. So last week, we looked at the, the God of love. The week before that, we looked at the God of pleasure. And, and again, uh, as we track along, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. God has given us pleasurable things in this life. He's given us human relationships as gifts from Him. And they are to be enjoyed to the glory of God, but enjoyed in the right way, in the parameters that He sets on them. It's when we put these things before God, in the place of God, that gets us into trouble, and they become God's, and they become what we bow down to. And so today we're going to be looking at the God of money. Money is no different than the love and pleasure. In fact, a lot of these things can be tied. Uh, especially the, the, the God of pleasure can be tied with the God of money because a lot of times we spend lots of money on those things that bring us pleasure, comfort. Um, Jesus even said in Scripture that wherever your, wherever your treasure is, in other words, wherever your money is, wherever your investments are, there is your heart. And He was always about getting to the heart of man you know, kind of whittling through that, that outward stuff, the facade, sometimes he excuses, and he gets right to the heart of the matter. And he says, wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. This idea of money, it's a big deal for a lot of people. Um, Jesus taught about money more than just about any other topic in, in the gospel. And so you can check that out if you want to. But uh, the God of money is no different. It isn't bad in itself. Let me go ahead and start right off by saying that it's not wrong to have money to make money. We are told to provide for our family. It's okay to make money. Some people make lots of money. That's okay. Money in itself is not bad. But again, the questions are, do we look to it to bring us comfort, to bring us peace, to bring us joy, to bring us satisfaction? Those are just those questions we ask about those gods. Do we look to it as we do to love and pleasure as that which ministers to us? Does it minister to you? And again, let's allow the Lord to examine our hearts today and, 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 and the question is what priority do you put money in your life? If it has become your God, today is a great day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a great day to give that place back to God. There's a book called The Day That America Told the Truth. It's basically the honest answers to questions that people could give anonymously um, to real questions um, and just to find out kind of the heartbeat of Americans. These are average Americans. In it, authors James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed some shocking statistics on how far people in this country would be willing to go for money. When asked what they would do for $10 million, listen to this, Amongst the people that they asked, 25% would abandon their entire family. It's worse. 23% would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 
16% would leave their spouses. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. 3% would put their children up for adoption for 10 million bucks. Funny and sad all at the same time. And there was an old adage that says everyone has a price. Everyone can be bought. Now, maybe you hear those and you hear these extremes and you say, I'd never do any of those things. And, and I'm hoping, hoping that you wouldn't. If you would, we need to have prayer for you at the end. Please meet me up front and have a little discussion with Maybe you wouldn't do those things, but every day people bow down to the God of money. Do you have a price? Are there areas in our lives that we worship and bow down to the God of money? Let's look at the scripture from First Timothy. It's going to be kind of our main text. We're going to flow right in through here um, the whole time. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul wrote about contentedness several times in Philippians 4. I've learned to be content with whatever I have, a lot or not, not much at all. But as he said, and then he gets to the end of that contentment passage, and he says, I can do all things through Christ. We love you, I can do all things through Christ. But if you read it in context, he's talking about that I've learned to be content no matter what my circumstances are. And then I can do all the... In other words, I can be content with nothing because I have Christ. And so he's writing to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is breaking, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. It's a famous billionaire that died some years ago, and they asked the guy that was kind of seeing his accounts, they said, how much did he leave? And he said, all of it. Couldn't take a thing with him. And then there was a story about a guy who hoarded money. He was greedy, stingy, and he just kind of controlled his emotions. He was, this is not even a joke, but a lot of people do this, but he was just kind of hateful his wife. It was a strain in their marriage because of money, and his money was his God, and he was dying. And so what he did was, as he was getting really bad, he put all of his money in a, in, a, in, a, in a bag, and he tied it to the rafters of his house in the ceiling. He said, when I go and when I die, when I go up, I'm going to grab that bag of money up as we go, as I go. And so the moment he died, his wife went immediately up into the attic, looked, the money was still there, and she said, I knew I should put that in the basement. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We can we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now again, he's not saying that if you're you desire to make money, that's okay, but it's it's when it controls you. And it plunges people into ruin and destruction. And he says, for the love of money is at a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, even for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Very sobering passage. So do, as believers, you know, we look at those extreme examples that I gave earlier. Do we have a price for which we, would, we could be bought? 
Because Paul writes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They pierced themselves with many griefs. Grief is something that people experience when they've lost someone or something that is very precious to them. And now that that something is gone, they feel that deep hurt and sadness or regret. And so people were going after money and, and money becoming a God has pierced themselves with a great regret. That is why you see sometimes people that have a, this goal and God and the, the money becomes a God and I want to become a millionaire and they strive and they get there. Some of those people become very depressed. Because they got what they thought they were looking for, and yet it did not give them contentment, the contentment and joy and the satisfaction that they were ultimately looking for. And so they have pierced themselves with grief, and along the way, they sacrificed many things, many relationships to the altar of the God of money. Deep regret. So Paul is even saying that because of money, some have wandered from the faith. He's talking about people that have just, they've given up on their faith in Christ altogether, their relationship with God. And again, they end up in, with deep grief and regret. What have we sacrificed to the God of money? Have you, like Paul, where you sacrificed your relationship with God? How about your relationships with others? How about sacrificing your peace because it consumes you? There's no rest. You're constantly thinking about money. How to make money if I would have just had this. Have we sacrificed our integrity on the altar of money? Several times, and there's some proverbs that talk about dishonest gaining. Have we sacrificed our integrity to go after dishonesty and gaining money in the wrong way? Maybe not being honest or forthrighting our taxes, wrong business dealings, compromising things to get money. What have we sacrificed on the altar of the God of money? So again, let me remind you, there's nothing wrong with having money. Money isn't evil. We need money. It's how we live. We need money to cover our bills. We need money to pay our mortgage. We need money to maintain our vehicles. We need to close our families. It, it's kind of tied to our basic survival. That's why money is so close to our hearts. That's why Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. When you're providing for your family, which you should be, I mean, we're told that, and that's only as Paul even says, if you don't work, you don't eat. We're told not to be lazy. We can't just think that somebody, you know, I'm going to do nothing and expect someone else to, to help me. That's just a wrong motivation, a wrong mindset. And so, because money is tied to survival, it becomes something very close to us. It becomes evil when we're consumed by it, when we begin to love it, we're ruled by it. That's what Paul says in this passage, the love of money. In other words, the affection that we give, the worship is a root of all kinds of evil. People have misquoted it and they said, money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? Money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the, the love of money, the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, it can lead us into evil places when we love it, when we place our worship and our affection and we're dictated by it. And again, then we compromise for it. We do things that we thought we would never do. And that, that one extreme of the love of money, where love, you know, money consumes, but there's also, again, this money in itself is not wrong. There's that other extreme that says, well, the only way you can be really godly is to live in poverty. And, you know, you have to take this vow of poverty, and if, and if you make too much money, that's actually a sin. That's not, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. So we have to stay away from those two extremes. And we have to say, God, as James says, you know, you know, there's, there's the rich in this world, and there are the poor, and you know you have everything in between, middle class or whatever. Be content with what you have. Again, it's not wrong to work hard, to strive uh, in this life, to, to to you know to make money to provide. But when it becomes a god to you, when it consumes you, and you're dictated by that, you have fallen into sin. Or if you go over here and say, well, all rich people are sinners. Well, no, let's not do either side. What did Jesus say about money? Here's a few passages of Scripture. He warns us on the God of money. Luke 12, 15, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a really great passage. Jesus is saying, you know, Paul echoes saying, You can't take anything with you. Jesus said, you're, you're no more than what you have. And listen to what he says. Whenever Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard, I think you should watch out and be on your guard. He says that phrase several times when it comes to like end time stuff, like very serious times. And he says it in also in relation to money. Watch out, be on your guard. You know, do not, do not give it yourself into greed. Be on your guard against them. Then in Matthew 6, 19-21, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's that passage that's tied to money. Now, when he says, let me go ahead and pause here, do not store up for yourself treasures on the earth, that doesn't mean that you spend everything that you make. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a savings account. That, shouldn't, that does not mean that you should have something put away to help your children and your grandchildren for the next generation. That's not what he's talking about. It's hoarding it and it's greed in context. And then Matthew 6, 24 no one can serve two masters. And here's where we get that God of money. Jesus is talking about that it becomes worship at some point. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so if money has become your God, he's saying that, Jesus is saying, then you're not worshiping me. Because I have, again, he gives us things to enjoy this life, relationships, pleasures, and he says, everything that you have, he says, it comes from him. And so then he has parameters of how you should manage that. Instead of what would Jesus do, how would Jesus manage my checkbook? That's a good question. Do you factor in Jesus? Do you factor in God when you sit down to make a budget or to pay your bills? Do you think about what he would want you to do? 
Jesus has an interesting encounter in Matthew 19 with this guy that's called the rich young ruler. That's all. We're not given his name. We're just given that he's a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. And he says to him, good teacher, what must I do? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's got this question, which is a natural question for a lot of people. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And so Jesus kind of, you know, and again, Jesus is going to get the heart. And if you allow him, he'll get right to your heart, right to your excuses, right past your facade. And he will lovingly convict you if you allow him to. And so Jesus kind of asked him, you know, he gets into a little bit of a dialogue with him, which I think is interesting. He said, well, what good teacher, what, must, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, you know the commandments. You know, and he, Jesus listened a few. And this guy is thinking, man, I've been a really good boy. He says, I've kept those from my, from my childhood. I, 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 I've been a commandment keeper. I've been a rule follower. And if that's what it is, then I'm in. And Jesus is saying, okay, then you lack one thing. And maybe this guy's heart kind of like, oh, just one thing. I can do one thing. And Jesus looks at him and says, I want you to go sell all your possessions, everything. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says this guy was dejected and sad, and he walks away from Jesus. It's just because he was sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, or I think in a revelation of the kingdom. This guy, and what Jesus was cutting to was money, was because it was, he was rich, and he went away sad because he had lots of possessions. So Jesus was cutting through his God and saying, you know, I have, I have something for you that you, it will satisfy your soul, it will bring you great joy and contentment, but money is in the way. Your surrender to me has a, there's a, there's a barricade there, it's called money. You won't surrender and give all to me because money is in the way. And so I want that thing that is supposed to heart. I want you to get rid of that God in your life so that you can surrender to me. And so he didn't want to surrender because his heart, uh, his heart was tied to his money. And so if we're not careful, it has the power to become a trap and a snare for our feet. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. As money and a trap you and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? How does money become our God? In Scripture, money so often portrayed as God's primary competition because, again, we look to it to do the very things that God wants to do for us. That's how things become God. That's how we begin to worship it. It has taken the place of what God wants to do in our lives. And that can be, again, pleasure, relationships, and money. So here's some lies that the God of money has told us. This, this is how money becomes our God. We're going to look at some of these. Come up. There we go. Number one, this is the first line. Money will satisfy you. Money will satisfy you. If I only had enough, how many of you have done that? If I did, man, what I could do with this amount of money. Anybody else with me? 
And the only guilty one. There's, there's two, three people. Thank you, Andrew. There's like two people in the room. Everybody else has a pure routine for now. Never think about that. If I just had this amount of money, then I would. And a lot of times, again, I'm not saying that it's just tied to pleasurable things. Sometimes it might be, but sometimes it's tied to like good things. But the problem is, is that it becomes, it consumes our thoughts. And we think it will satisfy. If I only had enough, if I had this much, then it would satisfy me. If I just had this amount. And so the answer to this lie is contentment in Christ. What Paul says, contentment, you know, godliness and contentment is great gain. Philippians 4, I've learned to be content. And he's saying, learn to be content because there's more to this life than this life. You can't take any of it with you anyway. That's, again, why sometimes millionaires end up depressed. Lottery winners end up where they say, I, I wish you had never won it. But yeah, how many, how many millions of people are playing it? Scratching, scratching, and buying, and scratching, and buying, and people that will gamble, people that, because they're trying to hit it rich if I just had this. And it never satisfies. It never satisfies. There are so many people that have won lots of money that have great regret, and almost to the point where they say, I wish I would have never won this money. It causes fear, depression, because what they are doing, they're looking for it to satisfy them, and only God can do that. Back in 89, when uh, you know, some of you guys were here, remember when the stock market took that massive, or it was 87, 87, something like that. And they talked about how many suicides there were among millionaires because they were losing so much. And so the alternative, instead of saying, you know, hey, we've taken a hit, we might have to make some sacrifices, we might even lose some stuff on this earth, they thought, the alternative is to take my life. And you're thinking, what have you been living for all along? A satisfied life is the life that learns contentment in Jesus. And then out of that place, we learn to live within our means. So important that that, that, that lie, money will satisfy you, gets people to start living outside their means. You should not do that. You should not be spending more than you are bringing in. That's what, you know, debt can just increase and increase and increase. Because we're looking for it to satisfy. I have to have it now. And that's what the world will tell you. You have to have this now. The new gadget, the new thing, you have to have it now. And you can even take debt. And you can pay that debt off. It's okay. And we're always saying, well, we have this game plan to pay it off. And we never do. And it just keeps stopping up. But contentment helps me to live within my needs. Also, contentment helps me to be generous. We're told in the Bible to be generous. As God's people to be generous, cheerful givers. Signs that money has become a god and thinking it will satisfy you, think about it way too much. Again, I'm, if, if, this is, if this is striking a chord in your heart, allow God to do that. He wants to set you free from this. But you think about it way too much, you're greedy, you're stingy, you kind of hoard it within yourself and there's a fear attached to it, you're tight with it, you ex- make excuses of why you don't give or tithe to the church. 
And these are things, again, that are tied to that God of money where it dictates you. Some people just feel what they think about all the time. So money will satisfy you. It's one of the lies. What's the next lie? Having money means you matter. That's a cultural lie. We think that money can make us significant. It gives us status. We often judge our worth by how much we have. Or here's another thing. We judge our worth by how much we have or how much we can make you think I have. Isn't that true? And so then what we do is we have the we go after the, the latest thing to look a certain way, to, that, that, a car or a home. I've heard of people, and this is, I've heard this to be true, that people will buy very expensive homes that they can't afford, and then you go in there and they have lawn chairs for furniture. Because they've gotten in so far over their heads, they can't, but they want to make it a great appearance. They want to look good. And so we think that our word is tied to how much we are worth or how much I can make you think I'm worth. And this is when we get our identity in money. It will means that we matter instead of looking to God as our source of our identity. We look to money. We are children of God. We are His sons and His daughters. That's the greatest identity that we can have. So we look to nice stuff. We look to cultural things that help me feel like I have some worth and value. Because deep down inside, there's this ache and there's this deficiency that, again, only Jesus Christ can fill. And when He's not filling it, we try to run to other things. And a lot of times it's money, significance, value. To look good. To make a statement. So our value is tied up in how we look or are perceived. Another way, the thing that gets us here is we have a resentment of those who have a lot. And some of us can get into that. Somebody has a lot of money or they have riches or God has blessed them, and then we have that little unspoken resentment towards them. Well, of course they're happy. Look at all the stuff that they have. I'd be happy, too, if I made $350,000 a year. We may not say it, but it's there. And then so we're not content with what God's given us and we look and compare. These are all lies of the enemy. Just kind of distract you and then depress them. And all those false emotions become very real. Third thing, the third line, money will make you secure. Money will make you secure. It's a big lie because we, you know, we think of like financial security and that brings us peace. Now, again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have savings. You guys, I hope you guys understand. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to have you know, savings and, and wise investments and those kinds of things. But when we look to it to become our security, whatever we are putting our security ends up being our God. It reveals where we put our hope and our confidence. With, a mo- with enough money, God all of a sudden seems kind of unnecessary. If you don't think that to be true, one of the letters that Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches, and he said, here's what I have going, here's what you have going for you, but let me convict you. Here's what I have against you. 
And so I think it's a, you know, you can take that letter and apply it to every human heart. And God says, you're doing well. Don't be beat up. Don't be living under sand and condemnation. It's not like you're doing everything bad. Here's some things you're doing right. But here's some things you need to take a look at. We all need to do that. We all need to live in, in humility before the Lord because we don't have it all figured out. We're not walking in a level of perfection. Because God help me convict me in those areas. And the church in Laodicea, he says, and this is a hard word. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Therefore, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He said, he said here's, the, here's the lie that you believe. We have need of nothing. We have need of nothing. And they had gotten so secure in financial stability that we have really need of nothing. We're, we're good. And he says, I tell you the truth that you are poor. And he's talking about spiritually. You're wretched. You're blind. You're naked. In other words, it's all, it's, it's like the extreme in a homelessness situation. Because seriously, that's what you are because you have, you said you have need of nothing. And that need of nothing has included me. You've removed me from the equation. So money cannot be our security. And the last lie is probably the foundation of all of this. Money will save you. Here's the real problem with all idolatry. We look to something other than Jesus for salvation. We're lonely and we look to a relationship for salvation. That, that's it. I, I need that. And if I could just have that person in my life, that's why relationships are such high with depression and emotional craziness when we look to that person and make them love. We're empty, and so we look for possessions to salvation. If I just have more stuff, if I had that, that would be cool. Problem is, that new thing in 20 years, what is it? It's an old thing. And you can't take it with you. We're depressed, and we look for look, look to food or other addictive things for salvation. We're rejected, and we look to pornography for salvation. We're angry, and we look to alcohol for salvation. We're apathetic, and we look to work for our salvation. We're proud, and then we look to status for salvation. We're worried, and we look to money for salvation. And all those things are horrible saviors that are not intended to bring salvation, only Christ alone. And so how do we remove the God of money? How do we deal with this? Let's look at, and this is continued from the passage that we were just in, verse 76. So he's just talking about money. Timothy. And he says, But you, man of God, verse 11 and verse 26, flee from all this. So Paul saying, Man of God, woman of God, flee from that. Flee from being tied to money. Flee from it and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So he's giving even some fruits of the Spirit. He said, Let that be your aim. Pursue that in God. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called when you were made, when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, remember the confession you made for Jesus. Remember the value that you had when you understood the cross and understood salvation, the, the value that you had in that in, eternally and internally. In the sight of God who gives life to everything in Christ Jesus, who was, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who alone is immortal, and who lives in an unapproachable life whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honored and might forever. Paul would do that sometimes. He would just be like saying, hey, you need to watch this, you need to guard this, and then he would just go into like worship. Because God is worthy. He's worthy of your heart, not money. Not those things that have no affection. He alone is worthy. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He will satisfy you. And He breaks out into a worship song at the end of it. Just so we remove the God of money by focusing our lives on the things that God considers special. Having an eternal perspective, not a temporary one. Not just the living for this life. Thinking differently than the world does, who's so consumed with materialism and money and things. And he's just pursued righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, and verse 11. And he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. In other words, you're not, you're not just saved for here. You're saved for something greater. Yes, you will redeem the time you've been given here, but ultimately you will spend eternity with God. Remember that. I think you're thinking that, you know, the streets are paved with gold. I mean, the, the, the stuff that you find so awesome here is pavement up there. It's not really that great. It's not really that important. So only walking with God, only a life walking with God, only walking in intimacy with Christ and a relationship with Him do we attain those precious and priceless gifts. That's the only way that we'll understand it. If we're not giving our heart to Him every day, the tendency is for us to focus on that which we don't have or the things of the earth. See, money can't buy those priceless gifts that Paul is talking about. Money can't buy them. Got to focus on God and stuff. Who gives life to everything? Verse 13. And then he goes, Who is the blessed and only ruler? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Who alone is immortal and who lives an unapproachable life, whom no one can steal. To him be honored, might, and forever. And once again, Paul just to fix your eyes and your gaze and your heart on Jesus. Jesus said something very similar to this in the Gospel. You'll be very familiar with this passage. So seek first His kingdom, or the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. But first, seek His kingdom and trust, and all these other things will be added to you as well. In other words, don't be so consumed. What will we eat? What will we wear? What will, you know, what will we have? And my house, our car, this and that will consume with the next thing. Seek Him and His righteousness. So the God of money tells me that if I have enough of this money, riches, that I can take care of all my wants and needs. If I have enough money, I don't have to worry. I can enjoy life. I can do the things I've always wanted to do. And that kind of thinking will make money my God. And then money becomes a cruel taskmaster. That's why Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. If you're serving money, it's a horrible taskmaster. And it will rob you. It will rob you of eternal 
pleasure, eternal contentment, joy, peace, and God's promises. We remove the God of money by repenting for putting our hope and our trust in it and placing it before God. Listen to what Paul continues to say in 1 Timothy 6. Just command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so he's not getting away from pleasure. There's a, there's a word of pleasure. He gives you things, he gives you money, and, and, and it's not that you should never have any fun or any pleasure. It's not that. It's when we look to those things, again, to become God to us. To command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this point, they, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, there's a joy in generosity. So we're told more blessed to give than receive. If you've ever given something and you see the response, there, there is a joy in generosity. And it's a joy that you can't explain. And, and, it, and it's a joy that says, I'm not tied to this. It's really not mine anyway. And so I go about and I look for ways to be generous. We're told to be generous, cheerful givers. And so you're not tied to money. You're free from it. And then there's a joy in the generosity. There's a great friend of my father-in-law. Um, he was a farmer for many years. I, I think he's probably retired now. He's getting up there in age, but he farmed in California. And, uh, and, and back in, when he first started, God really dramatically saved his first cotton crop. Uh, there was a dust storm, and his cotton was the only cotton that was uh, saved. Um, and, and, and other farmers were just, I mean, they, they were getting I mean, just really, really hurt during that. And this was his first crop. And so this dust storm comes through, and he doesn't know what to do. And I think I've shared this story, but it bears repeating today. But um, he calls the pastor and he says, I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do, man. This is, we, we put all of our money into this first crop. And farmer, the, the pastor says, I'll be there. And he comes out there, and, he, and the farmer, or I should say the farmer, the pastor comes out, and he this is an old kind of down-to-earth kind of guy, and he just gets on his knees out in their field, and he says, God, you see these men? They are tithers, and your word says that you would rebuke the devourer on behalf of a tither. And so I'm asking you to rebuke the devourer. I'm asking you to save this crop. And he gets on the brush and stands off and says, well, I should do it. And leaves. They were the only cotton crop that survived in that region. And this guy ended up becoming a millionaire. God really I mean, abundantly blessed everything that he touched. And my father-in-law tells a story about him because he is one, he says he's one of the most joyfully generous men that he's ever known in his life. And he asked him about it. He says, he said, I, I can't give money away fast enough to where it, it, it comes back. And I'm not saying that if you give money away that God's going to give you money back. I'm not, let's not get tied into the weird TV preaching. If you sow that seed, God's going to, People have said that if you get, you know, they sow that seed, you're not going to make a millionaire or he'll heal your body or something like that. Are you, you're paying for healing? It's craziness. Don't send your money to those people. Can I just ask for you for just a second? It's 
crazy the TV ministers that people spend their money and there's things in the Bible about that. It's corruption and, and craziness. Find out who you're giving to. Search it out. Find out what they do with their money. I won't even charge you with that. Um, but this guy, so I'm not saying that there's a guarantee that, that you know, it's a gift and it will be given back to you. Sometimes you give and God gives you peace and he gives you contentment and you're not called to the money. That's a gift. Sometimes it's a Sometimes money comes back, and, 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 and that was the case for this guy, um, my, my father-in-law's friend. He said, I can't get away fast enough where it keeps just coming in. I said, give him my number. No, I'm just, um, but he's just joyfully generous. I mean, he's just not tied to it at all. God will put someone in his heart. He just pitiful. He's just been known to write like, large amounts of money to organizations to... Um, you know, you know, ministries that he, you know, familiar with or, or whatever, and, and and then you know, God just returns it, and so he, but he, he just, he's just so unkind to it. He said, if I if I'm broke tomorrow, I wouldn't care. It just it would not it would not concern me. I, I don't live for it. Joyfully, there's a joy in generosity because it's eternal. You're making you're you're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Where moth and rust, they don't corrupt it. It's not stuff that's just stuff on the earth. It's, you're investing in hearts. You're investing in lives. When you give, and there's a joy in the generosity. And what he says here, too, you know, when he says, command those who are rich in this present world, I don't think he's just talking about just the wealthy. I mean, in America, we're all wealthy. You got, you know, you guys have heard that. If you have change in your pocket or access to a couple of bucks, you, we're among the richest in the world. I think it's anyone who has placed their trust in money. And so as I said before, one way to know that money has become a God to you is you find it hard to give it away. You make excuses for not giving, for not being generous, or fear motivates you. I'm going to close with this. Has money become your God? Have you been motivated by it? Have you loved it and bowed down to it? I'm not talking about literally bowing down to it, but what have you bowed, how have you bowed down to it? Have you laid your integrity at the altar of money? Have you compromised for it? Have you manipulated for it? Do you have, as Paul said, grief and regrets because of it? Have, have, have you been pierced with grief? Have you looked to it to validate you, make you feel important? Give you status, make you feel secure, or even save you? If so, I think, again, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Let the Lord come in and remove those idols, that idol of money, and help let him put, put himself back on that throne. And I'm telling you, you can walk in a freedom that you never knew was possible. Put Jesus there in a new way. Because if you want to look at generosity, you have to look no further than the example, the greatest example of generosity ever known to mankind. It's God who owns everything. It's God who has need of nothing. He didn't create people because He needed us. So let's go ahead and remove ourselves from that equation. He created man for, again, for relationship, but for His glory. 
He had need of nothing. He wasn't depressed and lonely and needing relationships. He was sufficient in himself. He owns everything, needs nothing, and yet out of loving us so much, he gave the most generous gift and he made the most sacrificial gift ever known. He gave us Jesus. Think about that when you think of money. You think about some of the percentage of people that would that would give up their family. Would you would you give up a family member to death for ten million dollars? And yet, here's God out of his love for us, didn't need us, but chose us out of great love. And he gave us the most valuable thing in all of creation so that we would be saved. He gave us his son, his one and only son. That we might be rescued from sin and death, that we might spend eternity with him, not just stay for this world, but stay to experience the joys of eternal life, to be in God's kingdom forever, to go to a place where it says, Jesus, I, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Do you not know that there are mansions in heaven? And don't get so stuck on earthly mansions as it's this dwelling place, the place that He's building for us, that He's making for us. He said it would be unlike anything that would be earth. And so He didn't just save us from the earth. He didn't just rescue us from the earth. He rescued us so that we could spend eternity with Him forever. There's no home, there's no car, there's no amount of money, there's no temporary thing that compares to knowing Jesus Christ. So the way we remove this God of money is to set our heart on that reality today. And say, from this day forward, I'm going to set my heart. And you don't have to fight for it. You have to daily remind yourself. You have to daily, and again, all of these gods and things that are daily wrestle. We have to get up tomorrow and say, God, I don't want to be consumed with that. God, help me. Give me strength. Holy Spirit, give me power not to be consumed with those things. You know why it's a daily thing? Because He likes that. He wants relationship with me. But here's God, the greatest example. He gave us the most valuable thing in all of creation. He's on His side. And He said, that's what you're worth. That's what your value is. You don't have to look for something on this, or you don't have to look for wealth or money or things or possessions to try to make you feel important or valuable. Look to Jesus Christ. That's the value that God placed upon you. We stand with you, please. God, thank you for speaking to our hearts. God, thank you for your word that does not return void. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would allow, uh, that we would allow you to touch in on those things today. God, maybe you're speaking to people, maybe it's specific things that you are dealing with about money. And here's the thing, I, 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 I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, I'm not going to ask you to come down here, unless at the end, I mean, if you want prayer for something, feel always feel free to come down and we'll pray for you. I'm not asking for that today, but I'm asking you to search your heart and allow God to search your heart. That's what David said. He said, search my heart. I open it to you, God. Because here's the thing. We know what God's dealing with. 
we know it. We, 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 can, we can sense it sometimes. Again, we make excuses for why we don't do something. We make excuses for why that God, or we're struggling with that God. Or... So you know, and I think, I think that, that, that the Holy Spirit is there and allow Him to open that place in your heart speak to you and that between you and Him, you say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for having the God of money on my heart instead of you. And whatever sin has been attached to that, maybe it's you're looking for security or salvation, maybe you're looking for status, maybe you've dealt with greed. Some strong words in the Bible about greed. Maybe you're doing greedy. Maybe it's kept you from being generous. Maybe it's kept you from giving to the church, to the poor. But Lord, we want to just invite you in to touch those places in our hearts, God. And we want to say, today is the day of suffering. We walk away from here, God, today saying, God, I want to walk with you and I want you to help me in those areas of my life. Forgive us. Help us to walk in freedom before you. What's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. I hope you have an awesome day today. Have, hope you have an awesome week.